this time on Chew Diligence. Master of Wine and Master Sommelier, Doug Frost. It's party season, so the first thing I always tell people is stop worrying about matching the food and wine. Just match the wine and the people. Prosecco is fun, and cava is great. Don't overlook cava. But, you know, it's the holiday season. Come on, step up. Get some champagne, for God's sakes. (laughs) And newly certified cheese sensory evaluator, Lincoln Broadbooks. It's real artisan food. They're not making a ton of it. They're making small batches and copper pots over uh, over fire cheesemakers in the u.s are actually even starting to you know import or export cheese to europe um, because you know the europeans are starting to realize that there's some good cheese in america welcome to this episode of two diligence when jill and i think of two of my favorite things jill wine and cheese are very near the top of the list i could eat and drink all day <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of my favorite meals together. So we thought, who would we want to talk to in Kansas City? I'm going to introduce you to Doug Frost. Hello there. Master of wine and master sommelier and one of only four people in the world to be both and a Kansas Cityan. Well, you know, it's uh, there's only a few of us that are insecure enough that we need both titles. <laughs> and and uh, actually, as I tell people, it's mostly because I live in Kansas City and, you know, we don't have any anything to do except eat and drink and read. So it works out. That it sounds, worked out really well. So it sounds like a fun time. It, it was not a bad thing after all. <laughs> and we want to introduce Lincoln Broadbooks as well, who is, I want to read your title correctly, the American Cheese Society's inaugural certified cheese sensory evaluator. Yes, that is true. Um, Sign me uh, up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, 29 of us right now uh, who are uh, sensory evaluators, um, and I'm also a certified cheese professional by the American Cheese Society as well. Um, There's about 600 or so, I believe, uh, uh, of those in the U.S. and Canada. So, um, yeah, I've got a few certifications. I Probably didn't study as hard as Doug, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 pretty. Drank cool. less, accomplished perhaps, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> exactly. But did you get to do the two things together? That's see, that's what you need to be doing. Not just cheese, not just wine, but together. Right? Master of wine and cheese, certified. Yeah. Together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yes. right. Can I ask um, ask both of you separately, Doug? To start, if somebody doesn't know what a master sommelier is versus a master of wine. What is the difference and how do you get those? Well, each is a series of exams. Um, each exam has been around for about a half century or so. Um, both exams began their lives in, in London because that was the center of the wine trade for a good uh, portion of the 20th century. And it, it, as I say, a series of examinations that include uh, blind tasting, um, service for the master sommelier, a lot of writing uh, for the master of wine. Um, typically, what I tell people is that the master sommelier is is really, really wide, but not very, very deep. And the master of wine is not so wide, but really, really deep. In other words, you're going to need to know a lot more about the production side, about marketing, about uh, uh, vine growing and winemaking and things like that. And with the master sommelier program, I tell people that the curricula is every word that could appear on any label on any wine made anywhere in the world. Wow. But that's it. You know, It's like once you know what that word means, you're done. You don't have to go into elaborate detail about why that word is there and what it, you know where it comes from and blah, 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 whereas the MW, you might need to know some of that uh, depth. You also, I believe, have to do some tasting for this. And which, which degree is that for when you're doing some blind tastings and you're telling people where these grapes and where these wines Yeah, both are exams. Grown. Both exams? Yeah, both exams. Okay. Um, that the, just blows me away, Doug. It it's all, I've known you for years, and it still blows me away that you can actually do that. Well, it, it, it's pretty much as as we were talking about the cheeses. You know, you look at those cheeses, you you smell them, you see what, um, you know, the rind looks like and all that stuff. And, and there are markers that tell you, as, as you would say, that say, well, here's what it's, you know, the milk it's made from, here's where yeah. it comes from. It's the same with wine. There are mm-hmm. markers, there are things that you smell and things that you see and things that you taste that tell you, well, it has to be this grape and it probably comes from this place because that's where they grow that grape and make it in this style. It's pretty incredible. It is really incredible. Um, Lincoln, yeah. you should describe what, what we have going on in the for people who can't see, we have some lovely cheeses. Yeah. And then kind of tell us how your certification went. Did you get to taste a lot and did you have to identify 
what the cheese was, yeah. where it came from. Gotcha. Which milk. Well. <laughs> what the cow's name was. Yes, yes, yes. yes. What kind of cow. Um, well, first, on the board, we've got just three different cheeses here. Uh, this first one is a cheddar that we actually age ourselves. We have a little affinage uh, program at the Better Cheddar. And this is made in Sweet Springs, Missouri by Hemi Brothers. Um, but we take it at a couple days old and then age it with a natural rind on it. This is about 11 months old. Um, and uh, it's just really nice cheddar, a little crystalline in texture. Um, then we've got um, a raclette with uh, alpine herbs in it. Mm. And this is actually, we do this thing, it's called adopt an alp. Okay. So we adopt... Uh, a cheese from a certain Alp in Switzerland. Huh. Um, and so this family, this is this Alp is Obern-Galm, uh, and they do raclette and Alpquesa and different cheeses. Um, so it's just a small family. They go up in June, go up the mountain with their cows, uh, slowly make their way up the mountain. They get it to about 8,500 feet uh, by the end of the summer, but they're making cheese the whole time in the chalets. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. And then I've got, uh, um, uh, this is, uh, Vacheron Montdor. Um, technically I can't call it Vacheron Montdor cause it is thermalized milk, not, uh, raw milk cause we can't get the real thing, but this is a Vacheron maker. Uh, but they just thermalize instead of, uh, no pasteurization, but just, it's really, really good. Um, like Describe what that so. looks like, though, for a little woolly. Yeah, so, <laughs> I've not had this before. You, yeah, it's in a little it's box. Like a cloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's in a little box. the The rind is a pinkish red, rusty color, um, and it's it's kind of wavy on top. Um, that that happens if I didn't have the box on. You'd see that it's wrapped in uh, bark. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. And um, so when they wrap it in the bark and they fasten the bark, it kind of gets like a wave to it, and so it just stays that way yeah and when you were so. bringing the board in you said i'm gonna warn you one of these is is smelly i think it smells great yeah which is that one that smells it's, it's the vacheron yeah mm. uh it's uh washed cheese so washed rind cheeses that's their main characteristic is it's going to be stinky mm-hmm. um it's uh, they wash it and a bacteria begins to grow and makes a rind um so that's and that, that little way. bit of fur that it carries exactly. Around. It's got a little mold on it too, but that's supposed to be there. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. It's, yeah. it's winter coat. That's yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. perfect for the holidays. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, certifications. How does one go after being certified as a cheese expert? Yeah. yeah. Well, in 2012, the American Cheese Society they decided that uh, you know we needed some kind of certification to. Uh, well, for professionals who actually work in cheese, uh, either cheesemakers or cheesemongers like me, um, or any anything in the cheese business, they they needed some kind of certification that would um, show that you know that person knew what they were talking about. And uh, it's the 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 cheese professional uh, exam is more head knowledge, um, a lot of marketing, um, a little bit of animal husbandry. Um, you know, cheese types and all this. So it's, it's a basically a written test. Um, and then you have this new certification, which is the Certified uh, Sensory Evaluator. And it is um, basically what it sounds like. We're, we're taking, well, basically, they, they sit you in a room, okay? And they give you, a, I think it's 10 or 12 cups of milk, okay? And they've spiked this milk with certain aromas, uh, and there's, I mean, they gave us about, I think they gave us about 50 or 60 aromas that they might give us. Uh, and we have to smell the milk and identify what's, what's in the, in the milk. Um, yeah. And then, uh, they gave us 12 different cheeses, uh, and we had to go through, identify, you know, um, any, uh, flaws in the cheese. Uh, so we had to taste, we had to smell. Uh, you know, our visual um, uh, sense was very important in that in that as well. So, so yeah. this was not a multiple choice test or <laughs> true false. Yeah, this was not. Um, <laughs> Hands on. I was when I since it was the first time they were offering it, and the way they do it is they take they take judges uh, who are uh, you know professional cheese judges, and and they take the same test. 
with the same cheese, and then they compare you to the judge. So that's how they score you, um, which is still, oh, wow. it seems really subjective still, but yeah. apparently I got pretty close to some of the taste buds of the judges. So yeah. That's, yeah. And so how does one study for a test like this before you go? Is this just um, accumulated knowledge from the work that you've done with Better Cheddar all these years, or is this something that you can actually sit down and study for? Well, I do sit down and study for those things. I'm kind of obsessive like that. Like if I'm hmm. going to go do it, I really want to uh, do my best. But um, a lot of it is I, I taste cheese every day. Uh, so I, I can identify flaws and I can identify, you know, ages of cheese, what type of milk uh, and things like that. So um, part of that is that. But the, the really the aroma um, uh, characteristics and things like that, like I really had to um, – you know, sit down and smell uh, things to get the terminology that they wanted right. Um, you know, that aroma may, may have just smelled milky to me, but they wanted, you know, lactic or a different term. Different, so it, different word. Huh? A lot of it was the, yeah, the terminology. They wanted you to just, you know, think more deeply about what you were tasting and smelling. And Yeah. So. And do they offer this test more than once a year? Or? Um, just once a year. Once they a year? usually okay. um, do it at the American Cheese Society Conference. Uh, and so um, they allowed 50 of us to take it and 29 of us were lucky enough to... To become cheeseheads, yeah, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so with wine, um, similar process, Doug, um, in terms of once a year, uh, how often do they give these tests for... Well, the Master Sommelier exam happens um, once a year in America, once a year in London, and uh, it, it uh, in, uh, on occasion we've broken it up into uh, different exams. So you have a theory exam, which is um, a, a verbal examination. So everything is timed. If you can't answer the question within thirty seconds or so, you know, then then you have to pass on and move on to the next question, and you can't go back and. La la la, um, and and this is just at the final exam, as I say, with the master sommelier. There's actually four different exams that you go through. For most people, it's about a five to seven year process or so of wow. series of exams. Um, the master sommelier then in- includes a tasting, blind tasting of six wines, and you you basically would need to identify the grape or grapes, the place it comes from, the vintage, and um, some accurate notes about the style. Um, on at least five of those six wines. And and then you have a service exam. And that's, for most people, I think, kind of the, the really challenging part because you're essentially going to spend an hour serving wine, decanting bottles, opening champagne, et cetera, talking about food and wine matching, maybe talking about spirits and cocktails and, and, t- and maybe even tea and coffee and things like that with uh, a table full of, of sometimes kind of grumpy master sommeliers. So, <laughs> Why would they be grumpy? <laughs> well, they have such that's, a great that's great their job. job. <laughs> their job is to be grumpy at that moment and, uh, and you know, to, to, to test your ability to serve and to, and to be uh, you know, a kind and pleasant person while you do so, uh, no matter who, you know, what's going on there. Bedside manner. Bedside manner, exactly. Um, the Master of Wine is, uh, as I mentioned before, it's all a written exam. It's a series of of three written exams, but each exam is, is uh, comprised of uh, six to eight parts, depending upon which one. It takes each exam is about a three-day exam or so. And so that one, typically, it's a seven to ten-year process for most people. Um, but the, the the sad part really is just that um, each exam has about a two percent pass rate. Wow! So there's a lot of people that just never really um, can complete them. It's it's uh, still and, invest the time. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's a frustrating part for me. I, I, I uh, with the Master of Wine, your final exam is thirty six wines, um, and wow. and so. I usually tell people you need to get about 32 of them right. Once again, where what the grape or grapes are, how it was made, where it's from, what vintage it is, style, stylistically, and things like that. Um, all can be done. It, it, it's just a matter of you, you've got to have, uh, as, as Lincoln was saying, it's, it's like you have to have that experience where it's something that you're doing all the time. So it's not foreign. It's not, not a, a hat you put on once a year. 
Um, but the nice part is once you finish either exam, you're done. You, you know, nobody <laughs> nobody tests you again. You get to get to carry that with you. You know it all, right? right. Yeah. Well, for for a, for a day, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a day, you knew it all. Uh, but nobody knows it all. There's nobody who has it all. It's it's you know you still have to fight through that because there there are just too many things to know. There's about a hundred thousand wines or so in the U.S. market. So, Man. I was going to ask you the wine industry. Uh, has just seemed to explode in the mainstream. Obviously, yes. people have loved it for a long time, but now it seems like everybody loves and drinks wine and, and knows a little bit enough just to be dangerous, right? <laughs> uh, what has that been like for you, have, watching people want like this, well, for lack of a better pun, thirst of knowledge? For <laughs> Nicely you know, done. <laughs> yeah, seriously, people love to talk about wine now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, it's something that certainly fascinated me from the get-go. Um, the first glass of wine I ever had, I was 15 years old. Yes, we were breaking the law. And I don't care if you know it. Um, and, <laughs> a Louis and, Martini, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it was, it was, yeah, it was this bottle of Louis Martini that just really blew my mind. And and I thought, this is cool. And I, honestly, I never thought about it beyond that. The next wine I had was Country Quencher. And I think Strawberry Hill was <laughs> the one after that, you know. But, but it, I, I'm... Quite serious about that. And um, – but I started working in restaurants. In fact, I had been working in restaurants since I was 14, you know, washing dishes. So um, wine is there and, and I had the opportunity to be out on the restaurant floor and got involved. And so um, at, it, it's come from a time where people were incredibly nervous around wine to a time where people, as you say, they, they feel like, well, I know something. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I think that you're only supposed to know what you like or at least you only need to know what you like. You only need to know it tastes good to me. I'll, I'll have more. Or, oh, no, I don't like this one. Can we get something else? I mean, and, and that's what I expect people to do in, a, in, in, in the restaurant and that's what I expect people to do in their own lives. You know, don't if, – if it doesn't taste good, stop drinking it. You know? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Don't, don't have somebody say, well, it's 96 points. It's like, okay, I guess I, I should like, like it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. What do you think about – I've had friends talk about the Merlot effect, uh, the sideways effect on Merlot, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about what's going on and is there any – is it coming back? Yeah, very much. Merlot is very much coming back. Um, I'm not sure it ever really took the beating that that we in the press, uh, you know, sort of pretended it did. Mm. Sideways, uh, Miles didn't like Merlot, and 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 in the book, it's clearer. In the movie, it's not. He only didn't like Merlot because not because it didn't taste good. It's because his ex-wife loved Merlot. So ah. every time he drank Merlot, it reminded him uh, of her, and that's what really, really ticked him off. So, um, but Merlot, I mean, certainly. Here's what, you know, the weird effect of it all was. Pinot Noir at the time that movie came out was not that well understood or well known. And so there was a lot of really good Pinot Noir out there at really good prices. And then the movie happens and there's no good Pinot Noir out there at good prices. The prices all go up. Guess what happened with Merlot? The prices go down. There's really good Merlot at good prices. So Merlot actually has done okay in the meanwhile. There you go. So go get a bottle of Merlot. Yeah, it works. It's still a good price. (laughs) Lincoln, has there been a similar sort of discovery of cheese moving from craft and whatever else we might be eating to a little more upscale? And wanting to know where it's grown and all that, you know, they yeah. eat local and... Yeah. Well, I mean, for me personally, I didn't grow up eating cheese like this. Uh, what did you grow up eating? I, I, you know, I had the American cheese slices. I had Velveeta and things like that and cheddar, but, you know, craft cheddar. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I got out of college and had a chance to go to Europe for a little while, um, for a couple months and taste some cheese. It wasn't until then that I realized that there was this bigger world out there. Um, but you know, you know, people's tastes are definitely changing. Um, our, the better cheddar where I work, the, the owner saw in the 1980s, he saw that people's tastes were going to start changing and he opened a store like the better cheddar. Um, that has a lot of artisanal cheese and and things like that. So, um, and it continues to evolve. I, I mean, we sell like we're able to 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 age a cheese ourselves with a natural rind on it, which gives it a little more earthiness and funkiness, um, but still have that sharp cheddar flavor. Um, people are they're willing to try that now, and they want things like that, uh, and just. People are more into American cheese uh, lately. They want to keep it local or regional, um, although there's still some European cheeses out there that are really good. So don't <laughs> don't go too far with that. But um, so yeah, it's I've I just I got into it 
thinking I needed a, a part-time job basically uh, when I was working on my master's and I wanted to do something I wanted to do and it, cheese is, I always liked cheese. So I went and did it and, and it's gone from there. So what was your master's in? Um, I actually have a master's in theological studies. Uh, oh, wow. It's uh, basically church history. I love it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I thought I wanted to teach uh, at, at the college level, but I got into cheese and I was like, eh, I really enjoy this. So, But instead yeah. you wanted to be a cheesemonger. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so that's a funky word. And then you said other words like um, earthy and funky. Yeah. And I think both for wine and cheese, mm. this is this is the tricky thing is finding vocabulary. Doug, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. this over the years. Yep. Um, yeah. Like w- the words, why... Uh, where do where do we start identifying what the words are to have a common language about these two uh, wonderful foods? Well, I think for well, where I start with people is I start with other foods they know. Um, they like earthy. I think of mushrooms. So mm. if you like earth, if you like mushrooms, you probably like some earthiness. Um, or, uh, you know, like vegetal, we get a lot of cheeses. Like if you guys taste this, uh, Vacheron, it'll be vegetal. And Can we I'll taste start, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I'll, but I'll start with people say, it's going to taste like cheesy <laughs> broccoli or cauliflower, um, like that. So I think, yeah, just identifying something that they know, uh, and then you can go into the, you know, the terms that, you know, the cheese judge would use would be earthy um, and things like that. Or they'll even say, you know, uh, uh Barnyard, yes, or yes, dirt floor, barnyard, or, yeah, yeah. You know, leather, like tobacco yeah. for exactly. wine, tennis I mean, just, ball, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, soggy t-shirt. I don't know. Right. <laughs> oh, he's peeling the top yeah. off of this, I'm and it's creamy underneath. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So it is. Um, I'll let you. What do you? You can taste with a cracker or just with a spoon. Whatever you want to do. What do you recommend? I say taste. Well, oh, I you were going to do spoon, the spoon. Spoon, do first, spoon first, right? just rock so on you, then. You Simplistic, get the pure flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here, well, ladies first. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You can do that. And, and the name of this again? You say it so beautifully. This is Vacheron, Vacheron. Uh, Montdor. Vacheron Montdor. Yeah, and Golden Mountain Vacheron. This is seasonal, so um, oh, that's kind of a lot. Oh, then it's mine. It's kind of delicious. Uh, <laughs> wow, this is seasonal. Like fall to December, that's the only time they make this. Uh, and it's just, it's super nice. It's, did you get the vegetal flavor? Like a little bit of um, like cauliflower. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 As soon as you say it, I taste it. I'm sure that's yeah. a common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Give me the words. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the things that I have an issue with taking these tests is I'm, I think I'm just tricking myself into thinking that it's there. Sure. Like, but. I, you can really taste. It's not as complex as wine, um, but it's uh, it's still a pretty complex food, you know. So it's there's a lot of different flavors going on. You can taste some funkiness, maybe some barnyardiness in this yes. as well. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Doug, not to put you on the spot, but from your taste, what would you want to drink with this? Well, um, let's see now. Vacheron, I would, I mean, I, I, here's the thing about wine and cheese in general is that we've always talked about how um, red wine and, and cheese are the, are the, you know, the mainstay. And I'm actually not much of a fan of red wine and cheese. I, I think in general they're not the, the, the best helpmates. If I was going to put this with, with a red wine, I'd probably go with something like a Beaujolais, something lighter. that had – Yeah, it's a little lighter, um, has a lot of fruit to it, has enough acidity. This, um, this cheese is really quite complex and if I were to put a big – um, red against it, I just think it, it interferes with the cheese. With, hmm. the, with that, it's like roasted cauliflower, like roasted and dried mushroom. You know, there's all sorts of really interesting things going on in there, and a little nuttiness yeah. at the tail end of it. And and I, I just wouldn't want to cover that up. And and so you try to find. I, I mean, the, at the end of the day, uh, people like me are supposed to be trained to find a wine that makes the food taste better because because we are servants to the chef, just like we're servants to the customer. Um, I don't really know anybody who goes to a restaurant to go drink the wine. They're there to eat. And and so our first charge is to make the chef look better. And so, you know, the, the thinking is always, how can I make this this dish, this food shine a little brighter? Um, so in terms of white wine, I, I'm, I'm 
uh, sort of tempted. It's one of those where I'm like, well, I might want to test that. But I'm sort of tempted to think about something like um, uh, Chenin Blanc from uh, Loire Valley, um, that they can be either sweet, slightly sweet, or or dry, and even funky and mushroomy sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially with a, a wine called Sauvignon. Uh, so I'd be curious if the Sauvignon would interfere with the flavors uh, because I'm I'm not a fan of try to put the 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 you know try to select a wine that has the flavors in it that are the same as the dish. I think that's crazy, but that's a big school of thought right now, and a lot of the chefs push it. And I'm always like, hey, chef, go back into the kitchen where you belong. Let me handle the food. Okay? Versus complimented, um, right? Yeah, not, there, not yeah, and so there needs to be some contrast in order for a compliment to, to to occur. If I just have the same flavors in the glass that I have on the dish, then why bother? Mm-hmm. You know, just give me alcohol and water. You know, <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, it's. it's it's that subtlety that you try to create, but it's always about how can I make that that food shine just a little bit brighter. Well, I was going to say, I I agree with your, uh, as far as cheese goes, it's hard to pair red wines with cheese. Hmm. It's, it's, for some reason, it's just not easy. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, so I would definitely go a white here too, um, for sure. If I was going, you know, with this cheddar here, I would probably try to do a red. Because um, it's going to be fuller flavored, it can stand up to uh, a red. But um, I agree. And if you've ever had, well, you, I know you probably have some of the Swiss wines. We don't see them here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Fendant, uh, mm-hmm. you know, has it, this really crisp acidity to it. It's yeah. not a big wine. It just it loves things like this. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I was thinking yeah. about a Grunewald Liner with this might be an interesting yeah. you know oh, combination would, as well. Grunewald Liner would be really good with oh with the raclette. Yeah, yeah, either one. Can we also either. taste the raclette? I'm so glad you brought. Yeah, it up. yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, yeah, 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 sorry, we can yeah, do that. Can do that. Yeah. Um, so this so these herbs um, are actually mountain herbs. Oh, they're, smells amazing. They're, Alp herbs that actually grow on the on uh, Auburn. Is it rosemary? Or something um, like it? They're yeah, they're uh, it's just wild herbs. So yeah, there is some rosemary kind of flavors in there. Some thyme, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, definitely. almost fine herbs, kind of yeah, yeah, almost lavender um, in there too. And yeah. so you taste this, and to me, I taste it like this, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. But then if you melt it, mm. it's over uh, clut, of it's course, totally mm. good. It's it's it's. Ten times better, which is interesting, um, but yeah, in in Switzerland, you would, you know, the national dish is basically raclette cheese over potatoes mm. and you know bread with some cornichon pickles. And, yeah, so. When you were talking about this, the adopting the family, that reminded me yeah. so much of Jill and I have talked so much about farm to table, right? We yeah. have lately, yeah. But like, so there really is like one family that you guys know and talk about when it comes to this particular raclette. Yes, um, I forget their last name. I can't even pronounce it right now. But <laughs> there's a, the, the father owns the Alp. Um, he's kind of retired. His son does most of the cheese making. Uh, they have, they're real close to, Obergam is real close to the Italian border. Hmm. So um, they have a local Italian guy who does the herding for them. Uh, and then uh, their picture. daughter... And her husband. And I see Heidi. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Their daughter and her uh, husband uh, uh, with two kids, they spend the summer up on the Alp with them helping. So it's just pretty cool to know where it comes from. And, uh, you know, you, it's real artisan food. They're not making a ton of it. They're making yeah. small batches and copper pots over uh, over fire, basically. Wow. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's fun to know the story. Yeah. It is. Um, when you guys, when people come to you guys, I'm sure you get asked constantly, what about this with this? What about this with this? Are there easy answers you kind of have ready to go for folks? I'm getting ready to have a party. Or do you try every time you talk to somebody to think what can be special? You know, it's got to be so hard. Well, you know, it's party season. So yeah. I, I, the first thing I always tell people is stop worrying about matching the food and wine. Just match the wine and the people. You know, ah. It's like it, we all like different things. And if I've got people coming over, then I just need to ask people, what do they like to drink? And and I try to find that out in advance. You know, my brother's like, hey, if you got a really good single malt, we're good. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, all right. But he's also one of those guys who's like, yeah, do you have any really um, – got any good cab down there? You know, any good California cab? And, and if I uh, show up with a Pinot Noir, that's fine too. 
And then I have friends who just love the fact that I have German Riesling and and especially if it has a touch of sweetness to it. And it's it's not that – because I always want to say this – not that it's like they don't know that much about wine. They know a lot about wine. There's mm. nothing wrong with enjoying wines that have a touch of sweetness to them. In fact, I always see – Cheese, I'm much. I feel like I'm much better off with a wine that has a touch of, of sweetness to it. With cheeses, it it, it works much better. It, and and so, uh, I come back to this idea. I just try to have a few different wines. I I want to have a sparkling wine because that's really festive. And and I want to have a lighter white wine. And I might want to have a heavier, you know, more Chardonnay like kind of wine and then uh, a white wine. And then I'll have a lighter uh, red like a Pinot Noir and a bigger red and a little like say a little whiskey at the tail end. And everybody seems happy. Nightcap. The whiskey. I love that. What about you? Are there like cheeses that you want people to try for the first time they never have or some go-tos? Well, I'm, of course, if you come to the shop and we have some of this cheddar here available, I'm always going to say try that because I spent 12 months, uh, you know, pampering. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, Yes, please. I will try that cheddar. Thank you. Should should we? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I always go for things like that. You'll, you won't find this anywhere else. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, good. Um, That's like part of that? You want part of this, Jill? Um, you got some? And yeah. so, yeah, I go, I go to that. I, I go to a lot of um, sheep's milk cheeses. Mm. Uh, it's really taken off. Uh, people are not afraid to try other milks. Sheep's milk is uh, one of those uh, milks that um, it's higher in fat even than cow's milk, um, but it matches some cow's milk flavors, so people aren't too worried about it. Uh, if there, if for me, it. if there's a single uh, kind of cheese that I like in general, sheep's milk. Sheep, cheese, yeah. Just, really? just, mm, me oh, too. Yeah. Great. So a lot of the Basque country French uh, cheeses, French side of the Basque country, um, are really, really good uh, for, for crowds because people are going to like them. They're just nutty and uh, not too sharp but flavorful. Uh, so yeah, I go there a lot. Um, I don't know. It, it, we the cheddar's least, fantastic, by the is way. Is it good? It good. is sharp and mm-hmm. delicious. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of crystalline. Just mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, I love that. Is that salt? Um, no, it's uh, so. If you have crystallization in cheese, any cheese that's aged over, or hard cheese that's aged over about six months, will start to uh, break down protein and. Uh, the protein crystallizes into an amino acid, uh, wow. and the amino acid, the amino acid is called tyrosine, um, and it crystallizes, and you get that little crunch, that grit. Um, yeah, and that's it's something you want in a in a well aged cheese. Um, but yeah, if you if you get closer to the rind, if you have a piece of rind, it's um, you you'll get more of those earthy, mushroomy flavors because we basically take this cheese and we put it in our, in our, our cheese cave. It's not really a cave, but um, we and we allow that cheese to uh, we we basically do it like a French tome. We allow the ambient mold in the room to grow on the cheese, mm. uh, and it eventually will. Um, well, we spread the mold out with brushes, basically. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. and uh, we get a, a thin rind on it, and it uh, gets some uh, more interesting flavors than it would. Well, like this cheese, Hemi Brothers. I shouldn't say. Um, if, I don't know if it's more interesting, but Hemi Brothers makes this cheese in 40-pound blocks, which is a, a more, you know, since the 1940s, that's how we've done it in America. A cheddar is made in a 40-pound block. Oh. Um, and then they age it uh, with a, they, they vacuum seal it and put it in a box and they age it like that. Um, uh-huh. So what we do is we take the, the, the bag off and we, we just open-air age it. Uh, and so it just gets – it's more complex. It's a little more nutty. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's good. We were, we're glad that we figured it out. Uh, cause when I first start, told the, the owner of the better cheddar, I wanted to age some cheese, you know, I was, I was sure I could do it, but I was kind of not sure. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, Ron was giving you the look, yeah, you know, exactly. like, uh, really? He, <laughs> yeah. He was kind enough to, well, he saw that, you know, we're always looking for exclusive things and he was kind enough to let me do it. Uh, and uh, so we're we're proud of this, and we've got some other things uh, in there that are going to be interesting too. So yeah, it'll. What does the affinage room look like? The ca- it, it's not a cave, you said. So what it's does it look like, and where is it? Um, uh, so it is in the basement uh, at six hundred four Forty Eighth Street uh, on the plaza at our shop. Um, it is about a ten by ten 
uh, room, and it's held at about oh ninety five percent humidity and at about fifty two degrees. Wow. Um, and that uh, that's perfect for cheese uh, and for the, the for mold growth that we want. You know, so um, I've got racks in there. We age it on wood. Uh, wood is wood is good in, cheese, in the cheese industry. <laughs> we say wood is good, um, and uh, so yeah, we use local ash wood um, to to age the cheese. And uh, so far, it's going good. And we don't have a ton of it. We when we get some out, we sell it real quick. Um, so you you know, yeah, it's. I just cut into this today, so there's a lot there oh, wow. now, and there'll be a lot over the holidays. So, yeah. And when you were talking about um, sheep's cheese and, and, you know, aged on local ash, makes me think of Green Dirt Farm and Weston and yeah. wine country and Missouri is so storied in history. And Doug, what do you do? You think that Missouri wine and Midwest wine is fighting a perception battle? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think it's fair to say that people still believe that all the wines made around here have to be sweet and they're just, you know, they're just pedestrian wines at best. And they're wrong. They're dead wrong. There's uh, about 150 wineries in, in Missouri and about uh, 40 or so in Kansas. And both states have some wineries that are making really lovely, lovely wines. I just took a bunch of wine out to San Francisco to a restaurant called China Live which is a really fun, very cool place that's been open about a year, close to a year now. And uh, it was for a dinner that I was uh, hosting as the president of the Institute of Masters of Wine. I I had to host this dinner for about 40 Masters of Wine who'd come over from Europe to tour California. So I was, uh, as is my usual (laughs) bent, I'm like, well, damn it, you're going to drink some stuff from the Midwest then, aren't you? (laughs) Uh, You know, been drinking enough of that California stuff. So I brought along Missouri and Kansas and and, uh, Colorado and Arizona and New Mexico and Michigan and Virginia and New York. Wow. Um, and and it was fun. I mean, the, the, the feedback, uh, certainly the feedback on, for instance, the, the Holyfield Vignol, uh, which is a Kansas wine, you know, out by uh, the old, what used to be sandstone, you know. Mm-hmm. Basor. Oh, Basor, wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, they, people turned to me and all said, well, I don't know about this wine and I don't know about that wine, but this is lovely. I was like, yes, it is. I've been trying to tell you, Vignol is a, is a damn good grape out here and we're doing good stuff with it. So, so that was fun. Uh, I, I poured some obligatory Norton because it's the official Missouri grape and um, people did what they usually do the first time they're confronted with Norton. They're like, this is very interesting. <laughs> like, it's very dry. It's yes. very bold. Uh, it, it's, it's just wild wine and, and it's distinctive. And that's what we ask our wines to be. I, I, we simply don't want them to taste all the same. Mm. We want different flavors so we can have, you know, a, appeal to different palates and a, different moods and different times and, and foods and such. So Norton is definitely its own man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm struck by... Um time moving on. So both cheese and wine have become more popular. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that people know much of the history of the wine area here. We were, you have told me before, mm-hmm. the Napa Valley of wine once upon a time. It, just take us briefly through, you know, what we were, what we weren't, and now what we are again. The, the history of, of American wine seems to be written in California, and that's certainly true since the, the turn of the last century. But prior to that time, uh, people were trying to sort it out. Probably the first original wine was a, a grape that may still be the same grape as, as back in the 1600s and 1700s called Black Spanish or Jaquez. And it was very popular and widely grown from uh, Texas all the way out to California. It was probably the dominant grape of Los Angeles, which was once upon a time the big vineyard of California. During the oh. n- late 19th century, Napa's growing Concord. They've got a little bit of Cabernet, a little bit of Zinfandel, but they're, they're growing Concord grape jelly, basically, mm. just as, as New York was doing at the time. And, and during that time, Missouri was um, making a lot of wine, trying to make um, wine the best it could. Norton seems to, to have been here uh, working with some other grapes, but uh, the, the problem was that the the vinifera species, which is the the species that accounts for Chardonnay and Cabernet and Zinfandel and Sauvignon Blanc and Merlot and so many of the grapes that we're familiar with, doesn't survive our winters. It doesn't survive even often our, our very humid summers. And the same was true on the East Coast. Turned out there were some bugs at work that we couldn't even see, we didn't know existed. And, and so 
uh, it becomes quite a complex story. But certainly in the mid-19th century, Herman was founded uh, because a, a, a group of and it's post-German Revolution in 1848 to 1850. So um, people were trying to find a kind of new world, and they settled Hermann, believing it could be, because of its beauty, it could be this new amazing place for Riesling. And, uh, and, and farmers were brought over for the specific purpose of creating this new uh, uh, German uh, uh, outpost. And Riesling didn't function there uh, particularly well, but plenty of other grapes did. And, and, and Norton is one of those grapes that survives uh, it's it's bred for this climate, so it survives our climate. It survives our our bugs and pests and such. And Lincoln, I can remember when uh, not too long ago there were imported cheeses, but there weren't many American cheeses. So to kind of talk about that that yeah. change in the last twenty yeah well, years, and certainly we didn't have any local cheeses for the right. longest. That's time. true. Yeah, it, you start to see. Um, Really, in the mid 1980s, you start to see these smaller artisanal cheesemakers pop up, uh, especially in California, some in Vermont, where there's a lot of dairy. Um, and then it kind of just snowballed from there. You have uh, uh, a lot of uh, women cheesemakers in the 1980s that started goat dairies, um, uh, and and there's it's it's just grown f from there it's we don't have a lot of the um you know controls on dairy like they do in um Europe as far as um you know money from the government and things like that so it's never been like our you know it's never been our um a huge industry but that's actually a good thing i think we um in most cases, the, if it's a good cheese maker, the smaller the production, the better the cheese because they can pay attention to um, the cheese. Uh, and so, but it's 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 uh, it's definitely a, a growing uh, trend. Cheese in the specialty food industry is always on top or close to the top as far as a, um, uh, as far as growing uh, its percentage of the market. Um, and people want people started to travel to Europe, and they started to see that they like those those cheeses. But a those lot of stinky cheeses, exactly. You're to? Yeah, <laughs> wash rind cheeses. Um, they 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 love different things that we weren't really we didn't have a lot of. Uh, and so the the market as people traveled, the the market became you know started to change in the U.S. because people had tried these things. Mm. Uh, and we make uh, some really good uh, that rival European cheeses now. Um, uh, and partly because we have some really good cheese makers, but partly because, you know, European cheeses have to come a long way and sometimes we don't get the best ones. Uh, they keep them for themselves, but, um, so we, we're definitely doing well in the cheese making front. Uh, I, I can't, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about American cheese right now. It's, it's good stuff. That's so, nice. Yeah. What are some of the names of, of local or regional people that, People well, should be looking for their cheeses. Yeah, so I, I have some a couple favorite. I mean, Green Dirt Farm is always really really nice sheep's milk. Um, they make really nice cheeses. Uh, the uh, Dirt Lover I really really love. Um, and then uh, I've mentioned Hemi Brothers. They're a relatively new operation, just a couple uh, years old. They started. Um, well, David Hemi, the the father, started. Uh, I think he was in. Uh, pork first uh, and then that kind of dropped out and couldn't really make money doing that uh then he got into dairy uh just fluid milk and then his sons uh wanted to take over the farm but there's five of them and they didn't know how to you know sustain five families uh with uh with uh just you know selling corn and and the fluid milk which is not a very lucrative um uh, business for for dairymen, so they said they're going to make some cheese, uh, and so they make some like really good German style cork. Uh, so cork is just a fresh cheese, okay. uh, basically curdled and strained. Uh, the way is strained away, and you get this creamy, soft kind of like cream cheese. Um, but they make really good cork. Um, they're making some cheddars that are really really good. Um, and then I should say this is kind of regional in Oklahoma, Lavara's Market. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lavara's Italian Market, but it's in Krebs, Oklahoma. Wow. And they um, 
it, they have a long history since the 1940s of a, of a big Italian population there. So they have this market. It's an Italian market. And they make uh, a Cacciacavallo style cheese, oh, uh, yeah. which is like a pulled curd, kind of like mozzarella, but then mm-hmm. you age it, uh, which we have some of that actually aging in our little um, room down at the, at the plaza. But um, it's like the same. All of the Italian grandmas would make this cheese um, in the 1940s. They would all make it. Um, but, uh, as the laws kind of tighten up, uh, the Lavaras, uh, kind of just came in and said, okay, we'll start making it for everybody. Um, and so that they make some really good cheese in this little market in this really small town. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with those things or those people, uh, Beji farms in, um, Bloomsdale, Missouri, they win, uh, Beji, thank you for saying Beigy. it. I've yeah. seen the word. I have yeah, too, and I didn't know how you pronounced yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Beji Farms. They, uh, they're Bloomsdale. It's like a little goat pyramid with ash on it uh, and ripened. It wins like super gold at the World Cheese Awards, wow. uh, like very frequently, which is amazing because it's going up against French cheeses and uh, some cheesemakers who have been doing this for hundreds of years. And so, you know, they're a Mennonite. Uh, a couple who do really, really good cheese there in Bloomsdale, Missouri. So, um, you know, just all over the U.S., there's some people making really good cheese. So, yeah, and we're even starting to, I mean, cheesemakers in the U.S. are actually even starting to, you know, import or export cheese to Europe um, because, you know, the Europeans are starting to realize that there's some good cheese in America. So, Is that happening with wine, Doug? Are we exporting any Missouri and Kansas wines anywhere interesting? There's not a lot of um, Missouri wine or Kansas wine that's exported even outside the state, much less Mm. outside the country. Um, Stonehill is one strong exception to that. St. James, I think, does a little bit as well. Uh, But uh, it it works out well in so much as um, Missourians in particular are quite thirsty for their own wine. (laughs) And uh, it's great. uh, There are few states outside of the West Coast that consume as much of their own uh, wine produce as uh, as Missouri does. Missouri is exemplary in that sense. And it's always gotten good – um, really good support from from the Department of Ag, the, from its government, and, and it's been very helpful. People have a, a, a quick learning uh, curve uh, because of all that because they get a lot of, of good ideas and good support. So, yeah, it, it, but no, we're not going to see a lot of Missouri and, and Kansas wines shipped into London simply because I showed some MWs. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. No, no. Never know. Got to start somewhere. That's right. Well, so what names um, – and- what varietals should we be looking for from the Kansas, Missouri area that well, we might not have tried? Yeah, Norton's the famous grape uh, when it comes to red wine in Missouri and, and elsewhere. Um, certainly, it's it's worth checking out. But as I say, it's a little bit of an aggressive wine. Um, I think Chamberson is probably the more uh, elegant uh, red grape that's grown around here. And, and it, there are a number of really good Chambersons around here. And when it comes to white wine, I think Vignol is is the star or becoming the star. But there are other grapes that are, are quite pretty. Savo Blanc for a while was the was the darling here. And I think people have learned to tone it down and make a, a gentler, softer version of it that's really, really quite good. They were trying to do barrel-fermented uh, Chardonnay as well once upon a time. And again, it's better off now that it's being made in a lighter, simpler style. And then there's two really floral grapes, one called Traminette and another one called Balvin Muscat which uh, is even allowed by the, the uh, TTB, by the federal agency that uh, controls these things, to be labeled as Moscato. So there are actually oh. Missouri Moscatos out there, and um, I, I, I have mixed feelings about that. It's a different grape than Moscato, but there are a number of different grapes uh, that make up the Moscato family. So I guess Valvin Muscat gets to, to slide in there, and, and uh, anytime I pour people Valvin Muscat, it's fun because it smells like it's going to be sweet because it has this floral nose, and quite often it's dry. Is that a white? That's yes, a white, it is. Yeah. yeah, those are white grapes that I was mentioning. And what was the vignole that you uh, took to have tasted? Holyfield? Holyfield, Holyfield. yeah, in Basehor, yeah. yeah. Oh. But there's there's delicious vignole. Stonehill makes one, Augusta, Montel, and Le Bourgeois, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of good vignole around here. I love that. And Beji is on my list as well now. Yeah. Before you guys leave us, Doug, uh, you have an, a relatively new venture. Jill's had the chance to eat there. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, the so-called beverage boss at uh, <laughs> the restaurant at 1900, which is the restaurant that's in the 1900 buildings right there at uh, Shawnee Mission Parkway and State Line. 
And the chef is Linda Dewar, who is, I think, a really, really talented, wonderful chef. And she's been doing great stuff here for a long time, but she was at the, the River Club, a private club, for the last eight years or something like that. So a lot of people don't know um, her touches, I think, uh, quite, um, again, this isn't big and silly food, you know, which has its place, I suppose. But Linda's food is a lot more elegant, and a lot uh, a lot more well thought out. And she's got a great team behind her with, with people like John Ponser and Andy McCormick and Elizabeth Paradise. And, you know, it's just like it's really a cool team back there. And and I, I quite enjoy working with those folks. So I just help with the wine list and the the spirits and cocktail program where I can, where, where the bartenders, where Artur doesn't kick me out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and do you the, the list? There's a lot of Missouri and Kansas wines on this list, or is that a small part? Or how do how do you put it's that it's list a relatively small it's yeah it's a relatively small part of it. But I'm quite proud of a Le Bourgeois a bone dry rosé from the Saint Vincent grape that we pour on off keg. Okay, oh. so it's, yeah, so we're cool. We're, we're hanging with the cool kids. <laughs> we got wine on keg. Ooh, yeah, we got natural wine. We got it all. So. <laughs> I love it. Uh, any last parting suggestions for the holiday season? Um, one cheese you can't miss. Well, let's see. Oh, that's a hard one. Just one. Man. Just one. Just give me one. Um, well, I have a, I have a new cheese. It's actually, um, uh, it's a French sheep's milk uh, cheese. Uh, it's an Asoarati, uh, which is a family of sheep's milk cheeses from the Basque region. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's called a square U, I believe, um, and it's I believe because I don't know how to pronounce that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's really really good. Um, it just won uh, like best in show at the World Cheese Awards. So out of you know two thousand cheeses, it out of from around the world at one. Uh, it's just really nutty and nice. Uh, so I'll have that around the holidays, and it's it's super good with some cherry jam. Cherry jam. Ooh, Ooh, cherry yum. jam. Traditionally, you would uh, – the, the the cheesemakers will go up to the high elevations in the, in the Pyrenees there and in the Basque region, and uh, they would have uh, uh, cherry jam to go along with their cheese because they would take cheese from the last year to sustain them on the mountain and sometimes it would get kind of funky and so they would eat cherry jam with it well it just kind of stuck stuck and and uh so if you go to the Basque country you get sheep's milk cheese there's cherry jam along with it so it's really good together and you got a wine for that doug well uh yeah actually uh i'd say i mean why not get a Basque wine there's there's a uh, a Basque wine there that uh, is called uh, generally called Chacali, uh, super crisp, super tangy. I just had one. Little, of those. little bit bubbly. Fabulous. Yeah, they're really fun. They're fun wines. But, but no, if I if if I had one thing to throw out, I would be to say, look, you know, Prosecco is fun and Cava is uh, great. Don't overlook Cava. But you know, it's the holiday season. Come on, step up. Get some champagne for God's sake. <laughs> on, on, you know, do do the thing. Find out why everybody likes it so much. On New Year's Eve, our thing and has been our thing for twenty plus years is we go down to you know Argentina. Or, uh, I'll, I'll do a shout out for Pepe's Carnitas, and I get tamales, and then we just have tamales, and I'm, I'll make some you know homemade salsas and things like that, and we just drink champagne like it's going out of style. Champagne and tamales, hey, that works. Love it. Love that pairing, Doug. (laughs) Love it. And a little cheese and cherries for dessert. There you go. So what a delicious and fascinating conversation. Thank you guys so much. It's our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. 